0: I want to inform you that we are at a celebratory point in the liturgical calendar known as epiphany. The word epiphany simply means a revelatory manifestation of a divine being. There are three main epiphanies that the church has historically celebrated. The epiphany of Jesus as the Christ associated with the coming of the Magi the epiphany of Jesus as the Christ at the wedding in Cana, and the epiphany of Christ at Jesus' baptism. Furthermore, students of the Bible have noted that in addition to these three celebrated epiphanies, the Gospel of St. John presents us with seven epiphanies of the Christ, or seven accounts in which someone acknowledges the manifestation of Jesus' divinity. For example, within the narrative of John's gospel, someone will declare a statement like, We know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Or, We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So, then, this Epiphany season here at All Saints Church, we are exploring the seven epiphanies of Jesus as the Christ presented throughout the gospel of saint john this morning's sermon's text comes from john chapter 1 verse 29 and verses 35 through 51 these verses record jesus calling his first disciples with that in chapter 1 of saint john's gospel john the baptist is involved with two epiphany accounts One in which he personally experiences his own epiphany and declares, this is the Son of God. And that we looked at last week, and we saw how the Spirit attested to the divinity of the Son. And there's a second account in which he is involved in epiphany. And in that, he declares, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This morning, we are going to consider the latter. Today's text and last week's text can easily be seen as one event. However, here in John chapter 1, these are two distinct episodes in which John the Baptist is involved. The first was the baptism of Jesus, which happened prior to the events of verses 29 through 51. But in verses 32 through 34, John the Baptist is recounting the events of Jesus's baptism and what led him to personally state, this is the Son of God. The second event that John the Baptist is involved with happens after the baptism of Jesus, in which he declares to his own disciples, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And from that statement, a chain of events was set in motion. As Jesus began to call his disciples, Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel, all realized the manifestation of Jesus's divinity and experienced their own epiphanies. So this morning, as we consider
1: John the Baptist's words, the way in which St. John organized
0: and communicated these events as he wrote his gospel. In particular, as John writes these verses, he records seven messianic titles or offices that Jesus fulfills, and they are as follows. The Lamb of God, Rabbi, Christ, Prophet, King, Son of God, and Son of Man. All seven of those titles or offices are in our text this morning. Also, this numeration is consistent with the way in which the Holy Spirit worked through St. John as he wrote his gospel. As we saw during Advent, John recorded seven I Am statements of Jesus, along with seven miracles of Jesus. And now here in chapter one, he presents us with seven Messianic Titles. And while I would like to take the time to analyze all seven titles this morning, my goal is to look at John's use of the title Lamb of God, and then consider how this influenced the three subsequent epiphanies of Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel. So if you have your Bible with you, Go ahead and turn to John chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 29 and then 35 through 51, and then I'll pray a prayer of illumination.
1: The next day, he
0: saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, Heavenly Father, I pray that you will reveal to us the significance and importance of this title, the Lamb of God. Father, help us to rightly understand your word, and then help us to live in light of this knowledge. We pray this by the power of the Spirit, and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. To begin, let us draw our attention to verses 29 and and 36. So verse 29 says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And verse 36, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. This title that John uses, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has created an academic controversy among biblical scholars. In fact, I can remember in both undergrad and seminary, this title being a point of significant research, analysis, and discussion. Critics of Christianity, and particularly critics of John's gospel, have claimed that John's writing is historically inaccurate, as John the Baptist never would have used this title, Lamb of God, to describe Jesus. And they postulate this position for the following reason. There are no Old Testament references to lambs being used in the expiation of sin. In the sin offerings in ancient Israel, bulls and goats were used in the sacrifices and the scapegoat was driven out into the wilderness, but lambs were not used. Therefore, they argue St. John is writing his own messianic hope of the sacrificial and atoning work of Jesus back into the scene as he recalls these events post-crucifixion of Jesus. However, in light of that argument, it is important to note that There are significant sacrificial lamb texts within the Old Testament. And so one such text is found in the event of the Exodus. Quote, then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take The Passover lamb provides a theological category for sacrificial lambs within the Old Testament, which would not have been foreign to John the Baptist or John the Evangelist, particularly because of the preeminence that the Passover feast occupied throughout the history of Israel. The Passover as both a salvific event in history, and as a commemorative feast, held tremendous significance to God's people. Now, some critics argue that the paschal lamb does provide a category for sacrificial lambs, but it does not provide a category for lambs used in atonement or expiation. And in responding to that argument, again, it's important to note that the Old Testament does illustrate a sacrificial lamb that provides both atonement and expiation. In Isaiah 53, verse 7, the suffering servant of Isaiah's prophecy is compared to a lamb. Quote, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened on his mouth Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. It is important to see that the suffering servant, whom Isaiah compares to a lamb, is said to be a guilt offering and performs both the work of atonement and expiation in the following verses. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. and makes intercession for the transgressors. Even though the title Lamb of God is not used in these verses, Isaiah chapter 53 is a clear description of a substitutionary, atoning, sacrificial lamb. And therefore, I am convinced that this theological concept was very much accessible to both John the Baptist and John the evangelist. And as seen in these two examples, the Old Testament does speak to a theology of sacrificial lambs. Therefore, in light of the arguments that would want us to question John's gospel, we really don't have serious reason to question the historicity of this title, the Lamb of God. Furthermore, we should not assume that John the Baptist or John the Evangelist is trying to be insincere or untrustworthy simply because this title is recorded. In fact, I think we should accept this category of sacrificial lambs, given the fact that it is in the Old Testament. And furthermore, I think there is a category of sacrificial substitutionary atoning lambs in the Old Testament. So then if we accept the categories of sacrificial lambs as a legitimate theological category within the Old Testament, then the next question is, how in particular is John seeing Jesus as it relates to a theology of this sacrificial lamb? In other words, does he mean Jesus is the Paschal lamb? who takes away the sin of the world, as foreshadowed in Exodus chapter 12? Or does he mean Jesus is the substitutionary atoning lamb, as depicted in Isaiah 53? In order to answer this, I think it is important to see and understand the apostles' understanding of sacrificial lambs in the Old Testament, and how they communicate this idea within the New Testament. So, let's consider the New Testament's use of the Passover lamb. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 19, the apostle uh, the apostle Peter infers that Jesus is in fact a paschal lamb. Quote, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot the reference to a lamb without blemish or spot is a direct quotation from exodus chapter 12 in which god told moses that the passover lamb must be without blemish or spot also in 1 corinthians chapter 5 verses 6 through 8 the apostle paul states the following quote speak to Jesus as being a Paschal Lamb. And while both the Apostle Paul and Peter understand Christ to be the Passover Lamb, these two references don't seem to fully fit John's meaning of the Lamb of God, as these New Testament Paschal Lamb references seem to focus more on redemption as a whole, as opposed to atonement and expiation of sin. So then, if the Paschal lamb references don't seem to fit 100%, let's see how the lamb in Isaiah 53 is referenced in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 8, we encounter a scene in which a deacon named Philip is told by the Lord to go and proclaim the gospel to a proselyte Jew from Ethiopia. Quote, And the Spirit said to Philip, "'Go over and join this chariot.' So Philip ran to him and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, "'Do you understand what you are reading?' And he said, "'How can I, unless someone guides me?' And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, "'Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, "'and like a lamb before its shears is silent. "'So he opened not his mouth.' Luke is deliberate to point out that Jesus was the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. In short, Acts chapter 8 interprets Jesus as a lamb who atoned for and expiated sin. Also, we should consider 1 Peter chapter 2, in which the apostle also cites Isaiah chapter 53 For to you, for to this you have been called. By His wounds you have been healed, for you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In context, Peter is exhorting his audience to suffer well as Christians. And he points to Jesus as an example for them to follow. And the way he does this is by quoting Isaiah 53 and drawing upon Jesus's work as both the suffering servant, and the sacrificial lamb. Furthermore, as it relates to the use of Isaiah 53 in the New Testament, Matthew 26, verse 63, Mark 14, 61, and John 19, verse 9, all make reference to Isaiah 53, verse 7 by indicating that Jesus remained silent before his accusers. As Isaiah 53 indicated that this lamb would do, silent to the slaughter and silent before its shearers. Therefore, in taking all of that together, I think it is reasonable to understand that John the Baptist was referring to Isaiah chapter 53 when he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. However, I think the greatest evidence for this interpretation comes from the epiphany of Andrew. Look at verses 37 through 42. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day The narrative tells us that John the Baptist was with two of his followers, Andrew, and an unnamed disciple of whom many commentators, and myself included, believe to be John the Apostle, who is the author of the gospel. As I said last week, this anonymity fits with John's tendency to remain inconspicuous. But notice how the disciples react and respond to John the Baptist's declaration. The text says they heard this and they followed Jesus. If the Lamb of God was some sort of obscure reference or something that was made up by John the Baptist, then you would expect a different response. But instead, it seems as though both John and Andrew had a reference point for the Lamb of God. And again, taken with the New Testament's use of Isaiah chapter 53, I believe the familiar source for Andrew and John was the sacrificial lamb who was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. Furthermore, the narrative in verse 41 also infers that it was John the Baptist's declaration. That led to Andrew's own epiphany in which he stated, we have found the Messiah. Clearly, John the Baptist's declaration was understood by Andrew and John, and they understood it to be messianic. Also, I think it's important to note that John the Baptist's declaration, behold the Lamb of God, which led to Andrew's epiphany also indirectly influenced Philip and Nathanael's epiphanies look at verses 45 and 49 verse 45 Philip found Nathanael and said to him we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph and then in verse 49 Nathanael answered him rabbi you are the son of God You are the king of Israel. The way in which St. John organizes this account communicates the idea that a chain reaction was set off by John the Baptist. First, John the Baptist testifies that Jesus is the son of God and describes the events of his own epiphany along with declaring that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Second, Andrew and John hear this and follow Jesus. Andrew has his own epiphany and declares to Peter that Jesus is the Messiah. John then makes a point to connect Andrew and Peter to Philip by stating that they are from the same town. Philip then finds Nathanael, and has his own epiphany by stating we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph and then finally nathaniel experiences an epiphany and says rabbi you are the son of god you are the king of israel like i said earlier i really wish we had the time this morning to analyze all seven titles ascribed to Jesus in this epiphany account. In fact, when I began to prepare this sermon this week, I had intended to walk through all seven titles and could not get past the Lamb of God. But for the sake of time, what I want to stress is that we should not question the validity of this title, Lamb of God, But instead, we should understand it as a reference to the substitutionary atoning sacrifice of Jesus, as depicted in Isaiah 53. And we should recognize the epiphanies of Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel to be part of this declaration, that they were influenced by this declaration, that Andrew and John both understood which John the Baptist was communicating by these words. They weren't left in mystery. In closing, I want to make a couple points of application. Really, I want to answer the question, what does this information I just communicated practically have to do with you and me? What's the point is what I want to answer by way of application. First, in preaching this sermon, I hope that you don't leave here with just more Bible knowledge. I don't want you to just simply know that the New Testament references Isaiah chapter 53 in multiple ways, or merely retain the facts about the Old Testament's theological category of Passover and sacrificial lambs. Instead, I want you to experience what Jesus accomplished as prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53 by grace through faith in Jesus. The point of John's declaration was not that his two disciples would know facts about Jesus, but instead, he wanted them to express faith and belief and trust in Jesus. And that is my first and foremost goal in presenting this information to you this morning. I want you to have your own epiphany. I want you to see Jesus as the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I want you to understand Isaiah 53 as being the work of Christ on your behalf. Second. I concluded last week's sermon by stating no one experiences an epiphany of Christ apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And with that, I made reference to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in which the Apostle Paul speaks to our inability to understand and believe. I also referenced Jesus' words in which he explained to Peter that his epiphany was a gift of God. And he didn't reach the conclusion that Jesus was the Christ on his own. We also see in scripture the agency of the Holy Spirit working with the preaching of the word. So, for example, in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says that in order for someone to experience faith in Jesus, in order for somebody to believe, in order for them to experience an epiphany... The word of God must be preached, or read, or taught, or explained. And such was the case with St. Augustine, when he took up the word and read. Faith was experienced. And such was the case with Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel. Each one of them had an individual declare to them who Jesus was, before or in conjunction with their epiphany. And the same is true for you and me. In our own experience, someone read or preached or explained the gospel to us, and the Holy Spirit illuminated the word in our hearts and minds, revealing that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ. With all that being said, as a second point of application— I want you to consider how God might use you in the epiphanies of those in your life.
1: Fathers, consider how
0: God might use your time of family worship to bring about the revelatory manifestation of Jesus's divinity in the lives of your own children at your dinner table.
1: Likewise, moms,
0: consider how God is using you to inform your children's understanding of sin, grace, faith, repentance, as you console and counsel your children throughout the day. Grandparents, Take a minute to regard how God might use you in the lives of your posterity. Perhaps by way of conversation and prayer, your words might lead to the epiphanies of your own
1: grandchildren. Also, I want all
0: of us as a church to consider the immediate opportunities that are in front of us. Today in Sunday School, Gary Chrisman from Disciple Makers presented opportunities for All Saints Church to engage with college students on the campus of Thaddeus Stevens. Could it be that God is calling you to step onto the college campus and declare that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Could it be that God is calling you to Thaddeus Stevens College in order to explain who God is to a stranger, just like Philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8? As we continue to be purposefully evangelical as a church this semester, I ask you to be open to the idea that perhaps God wants you to take advantage of the opportunities that are before us as a church. Dear saints, because Jesus is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, let us believe this truth and share it with others. May God be gracious to us this semester and use all of us, like John the Baptist, setting off a chain reaction of epiphanies as we explain the good news of the gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
1: Amen.